You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. Today we're talking about some hot topics. So we're talking about stronger erections, oral sex, anal sex, and how it changes after childbirth. I don't know about that, but I want to hear about that. Leaking when you laugh. Do you leak when you laugh? I do not leak when I laugh. Do you laugh? I mean, I'm hilarious, so I laugh all <laughs> you the laugh time. At your own jokes. I do laugh at my. I, you know, I woke up last night laughing to a dream. Do you not remember that I actually? I thought you were crying, so I was like, "Baby, it's okay." And you're like, "I'm I know, laughing." I was, I was laughing for real. I woke up. It was something. It was somebody farted in my dream, and I thought it was funny. Is but that yeah, true? I, I, yeah, that's that's the truth. Who farted? I, I don't know who farted, but it was real funny. <laughs> that, that's and all it takes. That's to make all it you takes. Laugh. That's what it takes <laughs> to make me laugh. So if you ever see me chuckling, I'm probably thinking of somebody farting. Okay, so you don't leak when you laugh, but yeah. you laugh in your sleep when someone farts. Yes. Well, that's funny because we're also going to be talking about bowel movements and constipation. We're going to be talking about bumper sex, the pussy pocket. Bumper sex. I'm bumper thinking sex. of bumper cars now. Yeah. I Oops. Just, <laughs> I just pictured like people walking around with erections bumping each other. Oh, I feel like that could be so painful so quickly. That's probably why it's so funny to me. Maybe to you. Yeah. No, <laughs> not funny. All right. We're going to be chatting all these things with Dr. Rachel Gelman, a doctor of physical therapy and pelvic floor specialist. And she's actually been on the program before long, long ago when we first started. And I learned so much chatting with her. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Now, before we kick things off, I want to shout out our new sponsor, adamandeve.com. They are offering our community 50% off one item plus a slew of free gifts, including free shipping with code Dr. Jess this month. So if you're in the market for anything erotically related, whether it's dildos or vibes or penis rings, lube, fetish wear, sex swings, I think they sell sex swings, you name it, head over to adamandeve.com and please use code Dr. Jess to hold, save. Hold on though, before we move forward, going back to that uh, new sponsor, you said a whole slew of things. Isn't that a Canadian term? No, I don't think so. Whack is Canadian. A whole whack. Yeah. I, I, okay. I, I only so know- So don't worry. American listeners, you can get a whole slew of Adam and Eve products. And for Canadian listeners, <laughs> you can get a whole whack. <laughs> I only learned that whack was a Canadian term because in one of my books, an editor flagged it and was like, I don't know what, what this, this means. It's a boot, a hoose. I don't know why they didn't Tirana. just Google it. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I see American spelling all the time in American words. I pick up on it. I get it. Anyhow, we have so many questions to get to today about everything from, oh, we're going to talk about penis pain. Great. Amazing. <laughs> Leaking and penis pain and bumper sex all in one episode. No, we're going to relieve penis pain, not create penis pain. <laughs> and we're also going to talk about vulva massage. I think I'm going to share something about my own, my own stuff to work on. So let's dive right in with our guest. Welcome, Dr. Rachel Gelman. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. Now, pelvic floor therapists, pelvic floor specialists are probably among our favorite people to talk to and learn from. Brendan, you've learned so much from pelvic floor therapists. I definitely have. And I'm looking forward to post-pandemic visiting a pelvic floor therapist because it wasn't something that was on my list, but it has since become something that I'm looking forward to uh, trying. 
Now, uh, Dr. Rachel, do you treat many people with penises? What's the split for you in your office in terms of vaginas versus penises? I do, actually. I'd say, I usually say it's 50-50. Honestly, I think right now it might be more penises than vaginas at the moment. I feel like I have a pretty big um, population of people with penises that I treat. So it's usually about 50-50. Interesting. Now we're going to be speaking about sex after kids. I know this is another area of specialty for you, but since we're on the penis topic and you know I get stuck on a (laughs) penis, uh, (laughs) what are some of the common challenges you're seeing lately? Anything that might surprise us for your penis patients? I see right now a lot of people with penises coming in that have pain with erections, pain with ejaculation, um, urinary urgency, frequency, almost similar to feeling like, um, they never say it feels like a UTI, but usually they are concerned they have an STI or an STD is, is what they report that they've had multiple STD tests and they've all come back negative. So those are the ones, the big ones. I definitely see a lot of people who have pain with sitting right now in the pandemic um, because everyone's working from home, which, you know, they're sitting a lot more, even more so than when they were in an office. But those are kind of the big ones right now when I kind of th- think through who I'm seeing. Um, pain with sexual function and urinary dysfunction are the big ones. And so pain with erection, what might that be related to? It can be related to a lot of different things. Same thing for people who have a vagina, but what I'm working on are the pelvic floor muscles. So just like um, a person with a vagina, people with a penis have the same muscular bowl inside of their pelvis that support their pelvic organs. And then there are muscles that attach at the base of the penis that help obtain and maintain an erection. And so if those muscles have become dysfunctional, they're in spasm, they're guarded, they're tensing up. If they're trying to have an erection, those muscles have to be able to relax and then contract to maintain the erection. And so if there's any dysfunction in that in those muscles, it can become painful. Um, it can also irritate nerves that pass through those muscles that then go to the penis. So there's there's several different things that could be going on, but those are the kind of things that I'm thinking about as a physical therapist. And then what are some of the treatment options? Now, I know it obviously depends on the diagnosis, but what type of treatments are available? So as a a physical therapist, I would be treating, obviously, the the muscles, the connective tissue, the soft tissue all around the pelvis. Um, So I work on the muscles in the legs, the abdomen, the back, the hips, the glutes, because all of those can relate to what's going on um, at the pelvic floor. And then I'd also be working on the pelvic floor muscles, obviously, if the patient's consented to it, I'd be working on those muscles internally through the rectum. That's the only way I can access those muscles directly. And so working on those muscles, doing things like soft tissue mobilization, connect um, myofascial release, also just working on re-educating the muscles, because if they don't know how to relax, that's going to limit erections and can cause pain with erections. So we'll work on trying to teach the muscles how to relax, how to move through their proper range of motion. Um, but depending, if I if I don't find a lot that I can personally work on, that's when I would refer someone to like a urologist. So there might be medical management that's involved, um, working with a sex therapist can sometimes be beneficial, acupuncture. There's all sorts of different treatment moda- modalities that might be beneficial. Um, so it just really would depend on the person. 
And what about pain post-orgasm? So some people have what they would call, you know, regular sexual functioning. They get turned on. They get an erection. They orgasm. Maybe they ejaculate. But then, and this is for people with penises and Mm -hmm. people with vaginas. And then they have pain after the orgasm. Mm -hmm. So the whole experience is super pleasurable, but they can become fearful because they know they are going to experience or they worry that they're going to experience pain post-orgasm. Orgasm. How does orgasm and or ejaculation potentially lead to pain? Yeah, that's um, a good question and, and very common. So the pelvic floor muscles will relax to allow blood flow to get in to allow for an erection, either a clitoral or a penile erection. And then the muscles contract to maintain that erection. And then when orgasm happens, those muscles contract, relax, and repetition. And so again, if those muscles are dysfunctional, all of that movement of that repetitive contract, relax, contract, relax can really irritate the muscles that are already in, in, for lack of a better word, an unhappy place. And so they're getting all this activity. They're already kind of cranky and that just kind of makes them even more unhappy. Um, Again, if a nerve that's traveling through those muscles is already irritated and there's all that movement around it, that can lead to pain. So there's, there's several different reasons why a person could experience pain um, after orgasm. And you kind of spoke to the, the a feedback loop that can start, that then they're afraid to have an orgasm because they're afraid it's going to be painful, and rightly so. And that leads to more guarding and preparation for what they expect to be painful. And then that kind of teaches the brain that this is a painful situation and that the brain tells the muscles to contract to prevent Um, something bad from happening and you get this whole feedback loop of contracting, leading to more pain, leading to more um, tensing up and it becomes this kind of vicious cycle. That makes sense to me. Now, you mentioned erections for the clitoris and the penis and oftentimes Mm -hmm. we talk about how to have better erections, but we're almost always talking about the penis. Mm -hmm. So in terms of circulation in the pelvic region for the clitoris, what can we do in our in our lifestyle? Whether I don't I don't know is it diet? Is it stress? I mean, is it exercises? What can we do to facilitate clitoral erections? Yeah. So one, just exercise in general. So it doesn't have to be anything specific to the pelvis. I mean, people always talk about Kegels, and I have I have very strong opinions about. Um, how Kegels are overprescribed because really any movement is going to engage the pelvic floor muscles because these muscles are supporting the pelvic organs. They're providing overall core stability. So just doing any type of low impact cardio, walking, jogging, swimming, anything that gets the heart rate up is going to increase blood flow everywhere, including the pelvis and the clitoris. So that's, that's the first thing I talk to people about is making sure they have some sort of exercise routine. It doesn't need to be over the top, which I feel like our our society and culture is all about trying to make everything as intense and strenuous as possible. It doesn't need to be um, the most intense, strenuous exercise. It can just be, like I said, a really nice, like 20, 30 minute brisk walk. Um, And that will, again, get the heart rate up, increase circulation, which is what helps with erections, including clitoral erections. Another thing that I'm a big fan of is just masturbation and stimulating that area, um, engaging in self-pleasure and stimulation um, is a great way to increase blood flow to the clitoris and the genitals. I, I heard you mention at the beginning 
the idea that there are things that we're doing now that we didn't do before. Uh, you know, Zoom meetings and sitting all the time. I'm finding myself sitting down way more often. Mm-hmm. And I also wouldn't think about coming to see a pelvic floor therapist had it not been as a result of meeting all these pelvic floor therapists and talking about the benefits of it. What are we doing now that's making us more uh, like tighter in that region or, or reasons that you're seeing people more? Is it as a result simply of sitting? And I also very much appreciate that you talked about just any form of physical activity being beneficial because I think there has really been, for at least for me, a real focus on every time I'm being physically active, I'm working out, it's like go harder, go stronger. Mm-hmm. So it's good to hear that just anything is uh, beneficial. So what is it like, I'm thinking about myself, what am I doing now that is causing more people to see people like you? So definitely sitting and people are often seeing that I'm in San Francisco. Um, Most of my patients are working in tech or Silicon Valley. So they were taking the bus down to Google and Facebook and sitting, you know, a lot. And so I'd always bring that up to them and they they would kind of get it. But Back before the pandemic, people at least would, yeah, leave work for a few hours to go do their Ironman gym class or whatever. And so they they were definitely getting up, walking from their desk to go to a meeting. So there's definitely a lot more sitting now. And just that amount of pressure on the pelvis is just not very healthy. And we're just not designed as human beings to sit, um, especially sit for the amount of time that we do. So sitting is definitely a big one. But also... It's a very uncertain time, it's very stressful, and stress and anxiety are definitely big causes of pain in general, but especially pelvic pain and pelvic floor dysfunction. So people are just feeling a lot of pressure and stress during these very difficult times and add that with being inside more, we're not getting a lot of sunshine, we're lacking vitamin D, we're sitting, we're not being able to see people. There's just so many um, factors that are going to play into the body getting a lot of stress and the body doesn't know where to put that. So it gives us either like a pain signal or makes us feel like we have to pee all the time. It comes out in in a lot of different ways. Some people are getting headaches or neck pain. Um, And so it definitely is just the state of the the world right now that I feel like is, is... definitely to blame. So if sitting is bad for us and can actually affect our sexual functioning, do you suggest people get up and just move around every 30 minutes, set set an alarm or something like that just to stand up? Yep. Yeah. I'm definitely a big fan of, you know, the sit to stand desks if people can get those for their home office. Um, But yeah, I'm always telling people to try to set an alarm and get up at least. I I never want, if someone can limit their sitting to two hours is my max that I usually suggest. Um, But if they can get up every hour, that'd be amazing. If they can even get up and maybe walk outside for a little bit, because again, I think getting actual sunshine and fresh air is really beneficial just for people in general. Um, But if they can get up, yeah, and just move around, Um, I also tend to tell people if they can just be drinking water throughout the day because they're going to probably have to pee at some point and that's going to force them to get up. Um, So those are yeah, definitely suggestions that I give patients. Well, Brandon has been taking all of his phone meetings outside. Like he just goes for a walk, sort of, I call it around the block. It's not really a block. It's around the park near our house. And I think that that movement, it's interesting. We think of it as obviously good for our mental health and our physical health, but it's all tied in 
to our sexual health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when people have low desire or difficulties with arousal or difficulties with orgasm or trouble getting in the mood, oftentimes they think, oh, if I use a toy, you know, is if there there's a magic pill, but it really is tied to our lifestyle. And I, I can tell you, you know, since the onset of the pandemic, my desire for sex has really gone up and down. And I think that I can see that it's in line with my movement because in my previous life I was always you know walking every day mm-hmm. walking in the airport dragging my suitcase getting exercise and I don't have that anymore so uh, I'm sure you're hearing you know speaking of low desire from so many parents who mm-hmm. have lost desire for sex or are dealing with sexual issues post childbirth or after having kids so I did want to ask you about that because I have a number of questions from listeners we put it out on on Instagram so if if you're open to that I'd love to ask you a few questions yeah of course okay great so this person says since baby I prefer oral to anything else like toys and penetration nothing is painful it's just my preference why might this have changed post baby yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there, there I'd, I'd want to ask this person a lot more follow-up questions. And first, things can just change. Our preferences can change um, in general. So it's possible that this was just something that's changed for them and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with having a baby because throughout our life, our, our preferences, and including our sexual preferences, do change. But if we're thinking about in terms of postpartum, um, you know, there could be just the fact that there is a lot of increased blood flow to the clitoris and the pelvis as a result of having a baby. And as a result, there just might be more um, sensation in the area and they're just finding that more pleasurable. Um, So the fact that there's no pain is great, but they might just be having increased sensation in the area now. And that is proving to be more pleasurable pleasurable for them. Um, I'd also be curious if they're having thoughts of negative thoughts towards their vagina, maybe not like consciously, but because they just had a baby, um, perhaps, you know, they're thinking like, oh, that's where the baby came out of. And they're trying to avoid that area and finding that just staying with more external or oral stimulation is more pleasurable. Um, But again, I I definitely would want to ask a few more follow-up questions, but those are the first things that came to mind um, when I heard this question. Yeah, and I think that's great. I mean, if if oral's working for you, go ahead and do it. I I was also wondering if, you know, with children, you have less time on your hands and oral may just be a more direct route Mm -hmm. (laughs) to orgasm. And so, I mean, folks with vaginas are more likely to have orgasms consistently from things like oral and manual and toys anyway, but we've made penetrative sex kind of our standard. So I wonder if there's also, you know, perhaps an awakening or the capacity to say what you like even more. So uh, Mm -hmm. I think if something feels good, uh, go go ahead and do it. And we don't, it's nice to explore explanations, but we don't always have to have an explanation. Right. However, <laughs> this next person has a sort of similar question, but down a different road about anal sex. So mm-hmm. this person says, anal sex used to be a special occasion chore. Hmm, uh-huh. That doesn't sound so fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now, but now I get more out of it after my second child and I seem to crave it. Why might this be? So we see this pattern of people wanting to understand, which mm-hmm. is perfectly fine. So I thank you for asking. Yeah, no, I mean, I yeah, the first 
reaction I had was like, oh, well, like that's that's great. Like enjoy, and it's it's interesting that we are definitely curious creatures, and we always want to know why instead of just maybe saying, oh, this is great. Why? Like I'm just gonna enjoy this and have that be it. Um, but I'm happy to explore and question the why with them. But I the first thing again is just maybe that you know it's something they did before. Um, so it's not something new and maybe it's just become something they now enjoy more and that's just, you know, things change and it's hard to know why things change. Um, and if it's attached to having a baby, you know, it might or might not be. Um, but again, it could be just after having a baby, there is a, there can be a change in lubrication, um, at the vaginal opening. Um, so it could just be, again, something to do with what vaginal sex feels like now compared to what um, anal penetration feels like. I'd be curious what their pelvic floor muscles were feeling like if there's been a change in muscle tone and that now the the anal canal feels, you know, better. There's more sensation there compared to what they're feeling vaginally. So I I definitely would have a lot more follow-up questions um, versus being able to give like a straightforward answer. But again, I think it just goes back to, I think they should just enjoy what feels good. I love it. I love it. Now, on the flip side, this isn't something that feels good. This person asks about leaking. So they Mm -hmm. say, I'm leaking whenever I laugh, but also when I stand up quickly or do anything that involves jumping, like jumping jacks. Uh, And they said, so they don't have access to insurance or physio. So they're wondering if there's anything they can do at home to help themselves with, I guess, leaking or continence. Yeah, definitely. So the first thing I always think when I hear any type of urinary dysfunction, whether it's peeing too often or leaking, is work on having better bowel movements. Constipation plays a huge role in pelvic health, especially urinary function. So the thing I always want to make sure is that people are having good, healthy bowel movements, that they're drinking enough water, and that when they're going to have a bowel movement, that they're not pushing, they're not straining, So really trying to make sure they're being mindful about that and they can get something like um, the squatty potty or putting a little step stool under their feet. So that way they're in the proper position to have a bowel movement that doesn't involve pushing or straining. So that's the first thing I always think off the bat of not a necessarily simple solution, but uh, something to start doing that is indirectly involved with leaking. Um, What is the squatty potty? Can you explain what it is to us? It's basically um, a little step stool that fits around the base of the toilet and you pull it out when you need to use it and you put your feet up on it. And now when your feet are on the step stool, it basically puts your knees above your hips. So you're in a squat like position. So as human beings, we're not meant to sit on a toilet to have a bowel movement. We're meant to squat. That's how we're meant to defecate. And so when we're in a squat-like position, that helps facilitate relaxation of um, the pelvic floor, specifically the puborectalis muscle, which wraps around the colon, um, the rectum, kind of like a slingshot. So when we squat, that muscle naturally relaxes and it's easier to have a bowel movement. 
I don't know how old this is because my I have some family, like older family members, and that's on my Chinese side where we have these kind of it's what you describe, but they're wooden. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm imagining that they've been around for centuries and centuries, just not as not branded as the squatty potty. We didn't have the rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, I usually just reference the squatty potty because a lot of people have seen their commercials or their posts on Instagram because they have very funny um accounts and funny memes and stuff like that but yeah no this is not a new development it's definitely been around for a long time to use some sort of a squat device um or a squat toilet um so it's definitely not a new technology by any means but now i'm gonna get all the ads on my instagram because you said that and my (laughs) iphone is listening (laughs) so okay if we go back to leaking you began with making sure your bowel movements and that's interesting because it's interesting that you know pee you're telling us to start with the poo so Mm -hmm. what comes after that what else can this person consider definitely consider how they're breathing especially when they go to pick up their baby or move. If they if they notice that they're holding their breath a lot, that's going to increase a lot of pressure in their abdomen, which is going to put a lot of pressure on their pelvic floor. Um, so, that, you know, making sure they're not holding their breath, that they're breathing gently in through their nose, out through their mouth, and trying to time their breath with their movements. So when they go to pick up their baby, that's when they should exhale because they get a natural lift in their pelvic floor. Um, same thing when they go to stand up. If that's when they can exhale, because they'll get a natural, again, lift in their pelvic floor as well. Depending on if they feel comfortable, they could insert a finger vaginally or rectally and and see what it feels like when they try to contract their pelvic floor versus relax it, like do a Kegel. Um, because I don't like, as I said in the past, I don't like telling people to just start doing Kegels without an assessment. So if they don't have access to a provider, if they feel comfortable feeling those muscles themselves and seeing what happens when they try to contract. Um, And if they're able to do that and they can feel themselves fully contract around their finger and fully relax, they could definitely start trying to practice those pelvic floor contractions at home and try to think about contracting the pelvic floor when they feel like they're gonna sneeze or they feel like they're gonna cough. Because sometimes it's not the lack of strength, it's just the muscles need to be re-educated to know that they should contract before those different things. So before they stand up, they think about doing a little pelvic floor contraction. Before they sneeze, they think about doing a little pelvic floor contraction. They just have to consciously think about it so that way their brain remembers like, oh, we need to do this before we do all those different um, movements. Interesting. Okay. And so for folks who are postpartum, uh, leaking aside, are there any exercises or stretches that you recommend for them to do at home? I I mean, I know that to have a proper program, they need to have an assessment. Uh, But postpartum, for people who gave birth vaginally, are there exercises that are universally helpful? Or is that maybe not a fair question to talk about being mostly useful? Yeah, I think, again, it's really... It's really hard, and I think that's why it's 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 always difficult because people want that one, you know, pill or one answer of things they can do, and it's not so straightforward. Again, I always go back to um, pooping. I swear I'm not, like, obsessed with poop, but <laughs> it really does make such a big difference um, to have a better bowel movement. I see patients all the time who come in with pain with sex after having a baby or leaking or things like that, and... The first thing I always work on is bowel bowel movements, and that definitely 
makes a difference without me even addressing the other stuff. So I, I, I do really recommend that, especially after having a baby, constipation is a big issue. Um, and hmm. it's not really talked about. I mean, the moms are usually given some like colace or stool softener, um, when they're discharged and told they're going to probably have a hard time with their first bowel movement. But it usually is a big issue, especially if they're breastfeeding. Um, their body just needs a lot more fluid or a lot more water than it used to. And constipation is just really common. And constipation, again, it's just going to lead to things like pelvic floor dysfunction, which can cause leaking. It can cause pain with sex. So, um, I, I always kind of go back to that as being like an, not necessarily an exercise, but something people can do. Um, and going back to just gentle cardio, um, trying to be moving, trying to go for walks or doing like some sort of a baby and me yoga or like a fun, something that's fun and makes them feel good and is also going to increase blood flow um, is just a great place to start. There really doesn't have to be a specific exercise or stretch, but I want people to be moving and doing things that feel good for them and their body. I love that. So get your poop in order in <laughs> order to, you know, deal with postpartum. So uh, my understanding, definitely not being a poop expert. Uh, obviously, we want fiber in our diet. We want to stay hydrated. You talked about uh, squatting as opposed to pushing and movement. Is there anything I've missed in terms of getting your poop in order in order to get your sex life in order? <laughs> no, those are the big ones. I mean, people want you know there to be some i think more magical or sexy um thing but for me i think yeah getting a having a better bowel movement is just a good good option and yeah just make sure you're drinking enough water especially if you increase your fiber because if you just eat a ton of fiber and you don't drink enough water you're just gonna have a big old ball of fiber in your colon that's just sitting there and that's not ah. gonna feel good so you need to increase your water um before you increase or if you increase fiber um, but yeah, you pretty much covered my, my kind of big recommendations for better bowel movements. Okay, perfect. And, and then I was reading, I don't know if it was your Instagram or on your website, you were also talking about scar massage postpartum. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So I see a lot of people who have recently had a C-section and they come in and they're always so surprised that they're having pain with sex or, you know, symptoms that they cons they thought would only be if they had a vaginal delivery. And having a scar, a C-section scar, and the kind of abdominal surgery that happens with a cesarean can still bring about the same types of symptoms as a vaginal delivery. I see people who have pain with sex. I see people who have leaking. Um, so making sure once they get clearance from their doctor that they're actually touching their scar, because a lot of people just avoid the scar, they don't want to touch it, and that leads to more hmm. sensitivity in that area. Um, but if they feel comfortable trying to massage it a little bit or seeing a provider who will teach them how to massage it correctly, um, because if you're not getting good movement in that scar tissue, even though it's in the abdomen and people kind of think like it's away from their vagina or their clitoris, the, the muscles and the connective tissue that runs under that scar goes down into the pelvis so it's all connected and so if we don't address that that scar tissue that restricted area it can really impact what's going on with the pelvic floor 
Um, so I, I really recommend that people who've had a C-section don't ignore their scars. They at least, like I said, try to touch the area once it's, you know, once the stitches are gone and their doctor said everything looks good to start at least touching it because if you avoid it, it's going to increase how sensitive it is. Um, and again, trying to work with someone who can teach them how to massage it correctly. And that's the same case for if people have torn during vaginal delivery, you really want to work on that scar tissue, which usually people kind of understand more because obviously if there's a scar at the vaginal opening, it makes sense that there's going to be pain with penetration. Um, but people are sometimes surprised when they've had a C-section and are now having pain with sex, they don't really understand how that can go together. But there's a really big connection between the scar that's happened in the abdomen and what's going on in the pelvic floor. And so when you talk about scar massage, it makes me think a little bit about vulval or vaginal massage. So mm-hmm. I, um, I don't know how to say this. So I like to put my hand along my vulva, almost creating like a pocket. And it's not sexual at all. It's not erotic. Uh, it's more just a comfort thing. Like, you know mm-hmm. how a kid holds themselves when they have mm-hmm. to go pee? Yeah, I just like that feeling of, you know, safety or warmth or comfort, just the way I like weight on me when I'm sleeping. Like I either sleep with pillows on top of me or I like a little bit of a weighted blanket. I find it very soothing and comforting and relaxing to just put my fingers along the outside. So the palm of my hand sort of goes on my pubic mound and then the mm-hmm. fingers fold over the lips. So this sounds a lot like uh, an oral or manual sex technique that I teach, which is the pussy pocket, where your mm-hmm. hand goes on the pubic mound, your fingers fold over the lips, and you kind of just slide and glide and pulse and whatever your partner's into. But what I'm talking about right now looks the same, but I'm not talking about it in a sexual sense. I just wanted to bring up that I, I get this this sense of just comfort, and it feels mm-hmm. so good. So I'm curious if massaging of the labia or even massaging of the vaginal canal is something that people use postpartum to either relax or reconnect with their body or alleviate symptoms or reduce stress. And and again, I'm not talking in an erotic sense. I mean, if it turned into something erotic, that's fine too with Mm -hmm. no judgment. But is that something you see or is it ever indicated? Um, It's definitely something that I recommend of just trying to like stimulate the area, get more comfortable with the area. Um, but unfortunately what I, I hear, and I think I, I, I think this was what your question was, but what I hear a lot from people after they've had a baby is they don't want to go anywhere near that part of their body. They mm-hmm. don't want to look at it. They don't want to touch it. Um, and again, there's obviously outliers of people who are not, you know, it's a bell curve. And I'd say it's the majority, I see it's the majority of people who report that of saying they don't, want anyone to see it. They are concerned it doesn't look good anymore. Um, And there's definitely a lot of negative thoughts and feelings and reports that I hear in relation to that area of the body after having a baby, which is very unfortunate because it's not true. Every time I look at a person's vulva after having a baby and they ask me if it looks normal and I'm like, yep, looks like a vulva. It has all the parts (laughs) and it looks fine. Um, So I, I would say I definitely end up encouraging the things that you just described um and because people are often trying to avoid that area it almost becomes like a black box to them and so that's where when i i want them to just start you know touching their pubic bone touching you know that whole area and it doesn't necessarily like you said have to be 
um, sexual or erotic. If it is, that's fine. But I usually just want people to just get comfortable with that area, even just looking at it with a hand mirror so they can have a more positive relationship with their, their vulva. That's a case like for, I, sadly, I'd say for people who haven't had babies too. Um, but definitely after um, childbirth, it's something I really talk to people about. I think part of the problem is not only that we have all these negative associations, not only are our bodies treated like ovens, not only is there sometimes a lack of sensitivity toward our bodies um, within the medical profession, and so we're just exhausted by it all. And then there's, you know, the potential physical trauma for some people uh, via childbirth. But I think the other issue is that we only ever use that area or pay attention to that area for sex, right? We don't necessarily see it as functional. We don't see it like we see our hands or our ears or even our knees. And so I appreciate that you're recommending it to people uh, in either an erotic or non-erotic sense. It seems, it just seems so reasonable to me. Now, for other people who are experiencing pain during penetration, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, that of course penetration is not the end-all be-all. There are many of us who could do without penetration and many of us who orgasm more uh, more intensely through external rubbing and touching. Having said that, many people do want to have penetrative sex, and I've heard you talk about a product called the O-Nut. Can you tell mm-hmm. us about the O-Nut? Yes, I love the O-Nut. I've been helping um, with Emily, she's the the founder and the creator since it was in beta testing. Um, And it's a really great product. It's a bunch of, well, it comes in a set of four um, rings and it's stackable. And you can remove the rings so you can just use one or you can use all four. And it goes around the penis, the dildo, whatever is used to, is going to be used to penetrate um, and it basically acts almost like a bumper, so it limits the depth of penetration without changing the sensation for the person with the penis, or, you know, it doesn't change anything, and it basically make, basically makes it so that it limits, again, the depth of penetration. So if someone has pain with deeper thrusting, um, or if someone, you know, recently had a baby and they're kind of nervous about jumping back into penetration, this could be a nice way to kind of resume and feeling like they're not going to go in too far. They're going to have a little, feel like there's a little bit of a buffer, which it, that's what it is. Um, and so it's a really great product. And I, I found it to be really great for patients that, again, have pain with deeper penetration. I love it. It's a donut for your Dixicle. It works or, <laughs> yeah. or your dildo. Donut for your dildo or donut for your Dixicle. I love it. Uh, and also... Yeah. Because I don't love deep penetration, and I do find that I either use my body as a buffer or my hands, or I kind of just mm-hmm. guide you. But with the Onat, you can have sex kind of at, I don't want to say full force, but Brandon, for example, could feel like he's moving um, to his full capacity, <laughs> uh, whereas I could keep it a bit shallower, and I... I I think that that's so important. And I, again, with porn, with a lack of comprehensive sex education, with a lack of opportunities to see full depictions of a range of sexual pleasure approaches, we get hung up on deeper is better. And that's definitely not the case. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything you want people to know about the pelvic floor in light of you know the body or sexuality, something that you wish we could change or reframe? Oh, man, so many things. Um, I think I, I've been a broken record before and talked about how 
people hear pelvic floor and they automatically think Kegels and that their pelvic floor needs to be tighter, their vagina needs to be tighter. And that is not the case. Um, The pelvic floor needs to be able to move through its full range of motion. So it should be able to contract, relax, and lengthen. So it's a really dynamic muscle. And so instead of focusing so much on making it tighter and stronger, I'd rather have us focus on making it more mobile and more functional um, and not thinking so much about like, oh, it needs to be tighter, um, that it needs to be able to move better. Um, because these muscles, again, are involved in so many functions, including, yes, stopping and starting um, urination, but it's involved in orgasm, it's involved in bowel movement, so it needs to have movement in order to do all of those things successfully. I love that. Yeah, the getting hung up on being tighter is such a concerning approach because sometimes being, you know, tight can cause problems. Yep, it can. And we've talked about that before. We've done, you know, a number of episodes on not doing Kegels and it not mm-hmm. them not being a cure-all. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Well, thank you so much for your time, folks. Make sure you're following along with Dr. Rachel Gelman, Doctor of Physical Therapy and Pelvic Floor Specialist. We'll put all of your handles in the show notes and folks can find out more about the clinic Pelvic Wellness and Physical Therapy. And you're on IG at Pelvic Health SF like San Francisco. So thanks so much for chatting with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you are new here, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on any podcast platform. And if you like it, please feel free to leave us a review, especially to the longtime community members. Please do. And don't forget that adamandeve.com is offering 50% off one item plus a bunch of bonus gifts for our community. So check them out, adamandeve.com, and use code Dr. Jess to save. The Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. 